Luke chapter 12, we'll read verses 22 through 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after those things. And your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So we've been in the middle of a, or at the end of a little mini-series the past three weeks, just talking about fear and anxiety, this passage here coming from uh, the words of Jesus in this little sermon section here that he's talking with his disciples. But I I want to pause just up front for those of you who are sticking it out every week through this to make a few comments just about fear and anxiety again because I've had some good conversations after the service with some people about fear and anxieties. And I love the feedback, So I, 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 and because of this feedback, I want to put a few things out front. And the first is that anxiety is real. I mean, and I, okay, thanks, Thanks, Darren. I appreciate that. Of course it's real. But when we talk about Christianity and anxiety and fear, we don't want to get this idea that somehow because uh, Jesus has words about how to not be afraid and how to not have anxiety, that somehow it makes you sub-Christian if you have fears, if you have anxieties. The fact that Jesus teaches to his disciples on on anxiety and fear is kind of a, a, a way of, a authentic, of verifying the reality that disciples of Jesus will at times have things to be anxious about. They will have things that, that upset them, that scare them. The, the, so the presence of anxiety and of fear is not in and of itself sinful. So we did say the first week, though, that Jesus rebukes there is talking against the anxiety there in chapter 12 and he says it is because a lack of faith that that a lack jesus up front addresses anxiety as a lack of faith in, in god and in his goodness and a lack of it's a lack of trust that god cares and that he has the strength to do anything about those that he cares for so there is a sense it is this um reality that 
living a life stuck in anxiety and fear is a sin issue because it is distrust in God. However, just because you have a moment of fear, something, something anxiety comes up, some uh, issue happens, does not mean you need to beat yourself up. Oh, I wasn't supposed to be afraid. I, I walked out into the street and this car about hit me and I freaked out and ran out of the way. I need to repent for being afraid. No, you should have been afraid. Right? I mean, so there's, there's, there's ridiculousness we can go onto the ditch about fear. Fear is a response mechanism that is clearly good for us in our fallen world. Um, just this morning, we get in my car and I drive my old, I, I talk about this more than I should, my old 94 Mustang GT 5.0. It's a 94. Uh, but it hasn't run for a week, so I get in it, I start it up and it turned over a whole bunch, you know, and it did a little fast, like, mm, you know, it was kicking over really fast. However you, however you say that, turning over really fast. And we're in the back, Joel's in the back seat and uh, kind of, you know, starts, starts, you know, firing a little bit and then dies and then it turns over a bunch again and, Finally, it runs, and Joel says, boy, I was getting really, I was getting ready. What are we doing in here? We need to get out of this thing. It's going to blow up. He was, <laughs> he thought my hot rod was going to blow up. We call it the hot rod. But I thought, you know, he's like, we shouldn't be in this thing. Fear over a car blowing up when it's acting funny is not a bad thing for you to have, right? It's a protective measure, right? So anxiety and fear is actually a thing that's ingrained in us. So the mother who's out somewhere and her child has an allergic reaction to something and she starts flipping out, right? She starts screaming for a paramedic, screaming for the ambulance, call the, you know, whatever. And they get the, they get the child to care and, and gets their allergic reaction under control. That, that mother doesn't then need to go to her pastor and repent for being afraid. That was what helped save the life of the child. You know what I'm saying? So there's, when, when Darla was diagnosed with cancer, right? So we go and we were having this, uh, this um, she's seen the doctor, she's having a checkup or whatever, and they look and they find and they say, yes, you, you have a mass growing and we need to get rid of it. Is it not just, I mean, how can a person say, nope, no worries, no fears, all right, singing in the rain, you know? Of course, anxieties come upon you. What in the world's going to happen? What's going on? And you have these, these moments that come on you. These, when you go around the next curve of life and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. It's part of our creatureliness to have a, a, some sense of, I don't even know how I'm going to take care of this. How am I going to handle this? There was legitimate fear there. But that's why we clinged to that Psalm 56.3. By God's grace, God's mercy was poured out upon us. We, we looked to the Psalm 56.3, which says, When I am afraid, then I will trust in you. And it's this reality of these fears that happen in a Christian life. God admits they're there. But underneath all of that for the Christian. So the only point I'm trying to make in this little beginning part that I don't have time for is that it's... It's understandable that as you walk through life, things come up and, you're, and they freak you out. And like, what in the world? What am I going to do with this? How am I going to handle that? That is a normal rhythm, I think, of every creature's existence. But what we're shooting for in Christianity, what Jesus is trying to put on the horizon for every Christian is something way bigger underneath it all. That as life goes up and down and worries happen and fears happen and, and wonders and anxieties and, the, you know, momentary ups and downs, they never leave the bedrock reality of who God is and who we are as his children. 
And that so you do not live in anxiety. You do not constantly worry on every single thing in the future because there is something bigger underneath it all. Jesus is calling his disciples to live focusing on bigger realities than the moments of their own lives. He's calling for them to look at bigger realities. That's what Jesus is pushing on here. This is not taking Darren's advice on how to handle fear and anxiety. And that's, you should, thank goodness. Darren's not playing Dr. Phil up here. We're not going to, how to battle these things. This is the words of Jesus to us on how to handle fears and anxieties. So he's been working this whole chapter is a a message to his disciples. But this particular section, he starts out talking about how we are to think about and fight anxieties by focus on the greater realities, like the realities of God taking care of his creation and the birds and the blooms. If God feeds the birds, who which are sold two for five pennies, or, you know, they're, they're, they're basically have no value to them. If God cares for the birds, why would he not care for us who have far more value than they do? If God bothers to clothe spring flowers that Grow up and look beautiful for a week or two and then die off. Creeping Charlie has that beautiful purple bloom on it that we all hose down and kill off to get rid of. If God bothers to clothe Creeping Charlie and musk thistles with beautiful blooms that we try to kill off, why would we not think God takes care of us, who are much more significant than a, than a flower or than a bird? So he, that big reality, he talks about the, the reality of our inability. Uh, you, you, if you worry, you can't add a single hour to your life. Jesus talks about the birds and the blooms, our, our own inability to do anything. And so when we face our inability, it then causes us to realize that as creatures, we have no ability to make any difference anyway. But God has all the ability. So we see ourselves in the right place. We are creatures. We can do nothing to fix really what's on our horizon and uh, major way but god has control over everything we think about these big realities the way that god takes care of his creation the way that we can't really affect anything god rules over everything and last week we talked about this kingdom idea that god gives god does not rule as one of the gods of the nations that you're constantly trying to appease and buy off That this God of the New Testament, this God, the Father of Jesus Christ, this one true God, sends his son. And when he saves a people, he doesn't just, they they become part of the family of God. They are adopted into God. They are brought in to become co-heirs with Christ. (laughs) That this God, when he saves, he saves all the way to the utmost. And so these are just some of the big ideas we've already gone through before this week about how to fight fear and anxiety with these big realities, which takes us to this morning, just these last two verses of Luke chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. Last two verses of this section said this. says, sell your possessions... And give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see that this morning, that the bigger reality that Jesus is trying to get us focused on is to combat real anxiety is the real existence of, of a treasure that does not fade. The way Jesus is going to 
focus our attention against and how to fight real anxiety is by looking at a real ex- the real existence of a real treasure that never fades. What do you treasure? What do you desire most? What do you long for? What means the world to you? Like we have those 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 sayings like that and this means the world to me what do you desire most what do you hold as dear to yourself what is the thing that that just that that is what you enjoy over all other this is the thing that you love and and think about this thing you desire most this whatever it is do you sub question underneath that do you have any hope to actually hold on to this thing you desire most how good is the money bag with which you were holding the thing you desire the most. The illustration's pretty simple that Jesus lays out for us, right? That which you value most concerns you most. If you desire some certain thing, then you're concerned with getting that certain thing. And when that which you value most is incredibly fragile, you are incredibly concerned. When you, whatever your desire is, anything that you would look around and we can, we're going to name off lots of things, but when, when the thing you desire most is incredibly fragile, all you can do is worry. All you can do is be anxious. I want this thing to happen. And the reality is I have no control to make it happen. You will live a life constantly upended and concerned about getting this fragile thing. And so Jesus says, is combating this reality of when, you, when, you're, when you're seeking for these things that fade, you will have constant concerns and worries. And he's encouraging seeking for treasure that does not fade. Seeking for treasure that does not fade, that thief cannot steal, that moth cannot destroy. Right there in verse 33, Jesus brings up, we should spend some time on, on, on the... Uh, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Is this a general call for us? Honestly, should we all just go out and liquidate and give everything to the needy? Is this a biblical command that is sinful for us to have any possessions? And I, I don't think that is what Jesus means. And we could don't have time this morning to go to other places in the New Testament where we see the church having possessions. But Jesus is pressing on a point. He's pressing on something. It's good for us to reflect often on the question, is there anything that Jesus would ask for us to give up that we'd say no way to? Is there anything in your life that if Jesus says, I want you to give that up, I want you to get rid of that, I want you to part with that, is there any relationship in your life that Jesus says, I want that to to die, I want that to go away, is there any possession that you have, is there anything in your life Anything that if Jesus says, I want you to walk away from, you wouldn't be able to do it. He's pressing on this issue. Is there a possession that you are having your joy in over Christ and the treasure that he is and all that he has for you? Maybe when we read a passage like this, we should ask ourselves, are there some things just physically that we treasure, that we are holding on to, that we should part with in order to be able to treasure Christ? I throw that out. For your consideration, but Jesus presses this because he's trying to get to the heart of the matter. He's telling his followers to go ahead and part with their material possessions, to, to leave it all behind. And it's a it's a it's a high it's a comparison of extremes. Get rid of all this stuff that fades for this one thing that never fails. Get rid of all this, sell your get rid of it. all of this stuff that's fading, 
get rid of it, to have this one thing that will never let you down. This is the comparisons that Jesus is throwing out. All of your monetary wealth and prosperity will all day, will one day wear out and prove to be of no real value in the final analysis. So when we get to this question, is there anything of value that lasts? Is there anything that we value that lasts? And it's one of the most troubling questions you can ask. If you really sit down and you think about all the things you enjoy, all the things you want in life, all of these things, and you think about the longevity of them, it's a terrifying thought. So take Mother's Day, for example. It is Mother's Day, and we are here celebrating Mother's Day. And if you're a mother in here, I hope that you get the recognition and that you deserve, that your family celebrates you. Mothers across the nation today are being recognized, and for many it's a a great grand celebration. Here's the reality. Every one of those mothers is going to wake up tomorrow morning and the celebration's going to be over. <laughs> it's just back to it's just back to real momming, you know, real it's and, and that that joy that the joy that was today if it was had hits reality tomorrow. If a mother pushes all of her chips in on being a mother, she may enjoy today, but she has a treasure that will not last because It fades. So happy Mother's Day. (laughs) But the reality is, don't have motherhood be the only thing you're holding on to. All of these things, all of these things, and I don't mean to pick on, I shouldn't pick on Mom's Mother's Day. It's probably kind of mean of me. But the reality, all of these things are fading, fading, passing away, fading and passing away. The second problem with having motherhood or some other reality, some other reality as your fatherhood or whatever it might be, what is what if today is this amazing day? You have this, everyone celebrates you, you're recognized, they, they sing your praises and all these things are wonderful. And what if you lose your cool? You ever have that happen? Like it's your own birthday party or something, or it's Christmas and people are doing nice things for you and, you, and you're the one that's in a bad mood? Like you're the one that blows it? And you think, no, I'm not a great mom. It's Father's Day, you know, and your kid does something inconsequential, and you get mad and yell at them, and they say, happy Father's Day, Dad. And you're like, no, I'm not. You're the best dad in the world. No, I'm not. I know that I'm not. You know, there's just this huge conflict that goes on in our own selves. What if you blow it? What happens when you know you're not doing as good as you could be in mothering, fathering, whatever this thing is? And if you've pushed all your chips in on this temporal thing, on this fading thing, when that blows up, it isn't just upsetting, it's, it's colossal. And in, in relation to anxiety, then you're, you're all, if, if your chips are pushed in on these, whatever your desires and realities are, you're constantly worried because you know how fragile it is. You know how fragile it is. Another example, we just got back from a big vacation and uh, we went to what's uh, wrongly uh, titled the happiest place on earth. And it's wrongly titled that because you don't have to watch very many families to know there's a lot of unhappy people on vacation. You throw travel, you throw everyone in the same room together, you throw spending tons of money, you throw heat, you throw all these things, sugar, you throw all this stuff into one room, and it creates very unhappy. I mean, it's so fun to walk down. Joel and I went to take laundry or check on laundry or something. We walked by this room with a dad up on the top deck yelling something about, why are you kids always eat? It was, it was just across the whole resort. You know, it have, it's ridiculous. But anyway, we, we get back from this vacation, 
But there's two problems. Some people push all their chips on creating these wonderful family memories. And isn't it, it, it draws to me. I mean, I think, oh, just the magic of, isn't it going to be wonderful? We're going to go on vacation, and everyone's going to be happy, and we're just going to buy stuff, and we're going to eat food, and we're going to go have fun, and we're going to watch fireworks, and then you get there, right? And you're like, oh, man, I've really misjudged this. Because if someone, no matter what, someone's in a bad mood, or something happens, or you, you go to the pool, and it's this wonderful thing, and, and then and a kid decides to dirty their diaper in the pool, and then and you have a mess, and a oh, wonderful, relaxing afternoon at the pool. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't go that way. So if you push your chips in on something like that, it just, it's, it's fading. It's fading, isn't it? But here's the scarier thing. And this is what Darla and I were thinking. You know, say you have an evening that is magical, and we had one that was just great. We went and it was we were at Epcot, and we you know fireworks, and we had a meal, and at, at the Mexico Pavilion, and it was just great. And the, Joel loved the fireworks, and we got those lightsaber things, and and we're walking back, and there's an ice cream shop. It was all wonderful. I mean, you know, and the kids got along. You know, and we were walking back to the room, and the reality is, that moment doesn't last forever. It's gone. It's right here we are right now. We're back in Mount Iowa, which I love. But here we are. You know, we're not, there's, we don't have the ice cream shop and we got Dairy Sweet, but this was really, this, anyway, I won't. <laughs> it's fading. Everything is fading. And you push your chips on all of these fading things. What do you have? You have have a handful of fading things. Tomorrow is a new day, and you find that no matter how well you may have enjoyed the moment, it doesn't really mean you don't care when the moments go terribly. You're like, oh, you know what? Everyone go ahead and blow up today. We had a good day yesterday. No, I mean, it's always, they're always hungry for, for more. If we put our hopes in vacations, family moments, family relationships, all of these things, it can be a fun investment, but moth and rust and thief Come in and steal treasure, and it cannot be kept. Maybe your physical health is your treasure. People say, well, at least I have my health. Well, I'm glad you do today, but no one knows what tomorrow holds, and many people don't have their health. So what goes, I guess they're out of luck, and you're okay. You know, there's all these things we can throw in. What are we to do? And I I got more, but we don't have time. I mean, just all of these temporary things we push our chips on, fading realities. So then what are we to do? Jesus gives us the answer. He says, Store for yourselves, give yourself money bags that do not grow old, and treasure in the heavens that does not fail. I don't think anyone describes this better than Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I return to this text quite a bit. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, 1203, if you want to look it up later in your pew Bible, if you want to get it out, it's 1 Peter chapter 1, this is verses um, 3 through 9. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To, verse 4, what's this being born again? What are we born again to? Those who are Christ, we are through his resurrection. We are born again, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed at the last time. That's verses 3 through 5. That Peter speaks of this inheritance with three incredible qualities to it. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Where is this inheritance kept? In heaven. The inheritance that is the eternal salvation 
given through faith in the work of Christ is an inheritance. Becoming a co-heir with Christ is an inheritance that does not fade. No matter what this world throws at you, no matter what this life throws your way, it does not fade. It cannot be defiled. When you are purified with Christ, when you are justified and made right with God, being sanctified, Romans chapter 8 speaks of it there as this unbroken chain of glorification happens. That we are Christ, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's the inheriting of the kingdom of God through the work of Christ. We've been made co-heirs with Christ himself. Our inheritance, we get God. We get God. The The eternal creator of the universe becomes father. Becomes father. Do you treasure God as the supreme treasure of life, pushing all your chips in on him. This is the desire that I have, that I would be God's, that he would be mine, that I would be Christ's, and that Christ would be mine. We were made for fellowship with him. And when Adam, who is our federal head, when, when Adam fell as our federal head, we all plunged into sin, enmity, wrath, war with God flowed to us all flow to us all. There was hatred from us going toward God. We don't want your way. We want to do it our way. We want to do it our way. That's what we, that is our mantra nowadays. We want to do it our way. We don't want to do it God's way. There's war towards him. And as a result, there's war coming our way. There's wrath. There's just judgment coming towards humanity for its rebellion. And that's the condition every one of us is in, in our natural state. We are helpless. We are hopeless except for the coming of a rescuer. And the rescuer is not better rules. It's not ourselves. It is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Jesus comes, lives the righteous life we should have lived, and he deserves and earns this full fellowship with God. He deserves to to be an heir of God, to inherit the kingdom. He perfectly fulfills God's law. And what happens? He suffers the wrath of God, is separated, gets that the separation that we all had coming towards us, he gets cut off. And Isaiah 53 says he's cut off for the transgressions of his people. Christ bears the wrath that sinners deserve. For what purpose? So that sinners, all of us, cut off from God and under his wrath, could be forgiven of their sins, given Christ's righteousness, and become inheritors of the kingdom of God. Me, who's lived my whole life at enmity and hatred, wanting my way and not God's way. God, while I was yet a sinner, Romans 5, 8, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. But God shows his own love for us in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Christ comes, lives, dies so that enemies of God could then be forgiven and adopted into his family. And receive an inheritance unfading, undefiled kept in heaven for you. Pushing your chips in on all these fading things, they're fading. There is a treasure that never fades, and it is Christ. It is God. It is all that he is and coming into fellowship with him. But let's talk price. Something priceless is priceless. You cannot afford it. There's no way for you to purchase this fellowship. There's only one way this can come to you, and it is through the gift, the grace of God to you. We can't 
buy this. We can't pay a high enough price. It's beyond valuing. The inheritance is so pure, so eternal, so unfading. There's no way for us to work to acquire it. God has to give it to you through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The question we are left with is, will we trust God and his promises to give eternal life, this great inheritance, God himself to anyone who believes? And let me urge everyone in the room this morning, do not cling to your fading hopes. They're fading. Do not store for yourself treasures here on heaven where moth and rust and thief and everything comes in and destroys. There is an inheritance that is unfading kept in heaven for you. It is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Come and taste the eternal satisfaction that is found in Christ alone. Jesus pushes this contrast right in front of us. Where do your hope and your satisfaction lie? In the fading life right in front of you? The fading life, is this where your satisfaction is? In the fading life that's in front of you? Or in the eternal life that is to come? Where does your joy find its fuel in the flickering fuel of fun in this life or in the eternal joy that is in God? How do you combat anxiety and fear within this life? With eternal joy. With a heart rejoicing that has its treasure set in a place that nothing, cancer can't take this from you. Sickness cannot take this treasure from you. Life can, loved ones can be taken from you. This treasure, if it is yours, cannot be taken. Not cancer, not sickness, not poverty, not pain, not personality conflicts. Nothing can take this treasure away. This is the treasure that Christ is. It's the treasure he secures for us. And this is the inheritance that is ours through Christ and through Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, I grant us your grace here this morning. That we would have eyes to see the treasure that you are. Father, I come confessing my foolish pursuit of a thousand fading treasures. As we come to the table this morning, we want to come confessing our sinfulness. God, I have sought happiness, satisfaction, security, hope, peace, and fading things. Father, I confess it. I turn from these things. Father, may we all this morning turn from those things and turn to Christ, turn to you, trusting in him and in his work and receiving the unfading inheritance that is found in him. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.